So um, this is also my main idea. The intercessory prayer has power to change, and it's a privilege given to us by the Almighty. And to connect this with the other previous sermons, the big, big idea is let us pray to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit, knowing that the recipient of our prayer, the one we pray to, is almighty and ever-present. That was last week. And now, and the means, which is prayer, is a privilege and has power to change things. There you have it. Uh, before we begin, let us, uh, let us then pray. Father, this is your word, though written by imperfect men. It is inerrant, infallible, inspired by the Holy Spirit, though spoken and preached by imperfect men such as I. Your word, Father, will still and continue to accomplish its purpose. Amen. So when uh, Pastor Andy asked us to preach about prayer, I was glad when he said that we can choose our text. I was immediately drawn to Exodus 32. This is the w- one of the most profound, uh, thought-provoking stories in the Bible some of the most important questions uh, you know, asked regarding God and prayer are found here. Questions like, if God is sovereign, does and wills what he wants, why do we even pray? Or can prayer really change things? Or can we change the mind of God? And so on and so forth. I remember during one of our youth Bible studies, which seems like it was yesterday, one of the most godly brothers, a strong Christian, confessed that there was a time in his life that he didn't pray because of this assumption that God will do what he intended to do no matter what. And I remember Auntie Evelyn, who is known to ask hard questions, Ask one of these questions on a Sunday school years ago, years, years ago, and everyone didn't even give a, a good answer. I was baffled, and it led me to examine you know, the Bible, uh, study scriptures more closely, read books, commentaries. That's why I chose this text. What we're going to do is we're going to zoom in to this story and... Uh, you know, investigating the, the, the verses itself, but also we're going to zoom out to see a clearer picture of this subject in the Bible. My outline is simple. First, is the nature of man. Second, the nature of God. And third, the response of man, or the, in, the prayer of intercession. And fourth, the response of God. So Exodus 32, let us zoom in. I appreciate uh, Pastor Andy for reading um, Exodus 32 for us. He actually gave a very good prayer, which sums up my, my sermon. 
So <laughs> um, the background of the story is that after years of slavery in Egypt, the people of Israel are finally freed, led by Moses. They have seen one of the greatest miracles in the Bible, such as the parting of the Red Sea, the pillar of cloud that shades during the day, and the pillar of, of, of fire that warms them at night, the manna, the bread of heaven, water from the rock, which is Christ. They are now in the desert, wherein God has given them the Ten Commandments, the certain laws that will distinguish them from the other nations, and also the institution of the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, Sabbath, among other things. Moses was on top of the mountain receiving instructions from God. Yet what did we see? What did we see in verse 1? The people of Israel have become impatient waiting for Moses. The one that helped liberate them from the captivity of Egypt was easily dismissed. And not only that, this impatience began to create more and more sins. They went to Aaron, demanded him to make gods of their own liking, a god that bows and bends to their desires. And the sad part is, Aaron complied. They made a golden calf and said to each other that, these are your gods, made burnt offerings and a feast that consists of erotic plays that can make the pornographic industry nowadays blush. This, brothers and sisters, is the nature of man. Every intention of the heart, the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. Genesis 6.5 None is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.10, Psalm 14.3, and 53.3 The very nature of man is sin. Just imagine that these people, the Israelites, just witnessed Miracles after miracles, blessings after blessings, then in an instant has forgotten the benefactor of these gifts. We say to ourselves, this will never happen to me. You know, then again, we continuously sin despite restoration of our health from sickness, acquisition of jobs from unemployment, and how many unanswered prayers that we have received yet failed to acknowledge the giver of good gifts. John Calvin wrote, Left to our own devices, people can do nothing but sin. Human nature will permit no other choice. Let's move on to the second point, which is the nature of God in verses 7 to 10. Observe carefully the words that God spoke to Moses. Go down to your people, did you catch that? God is essentially saying to Moses, Moses, these are your people, not mine. I remember when I was younger, most often when my brother Henry and I would fight, our dad would say to our mom, Tignan mo yung anak mo. And doing like that with, you know, purse lip pointing. That's how we Filipinos point. It's basically saying that, you know, look at what your, your son is doing right now. He's, he's now your son. He's not my son. Uh, here, you know, we see God is separating himself away from sinful people. There is a divine di distancing that's going on here. A divine disowning. 
Here we see the nature of God in which God is holy. Holiness is set apart, transcendent, sacred, high and lifted up. And because God is holy, He cannot tolerate sin. God's response to sin is to exact His divine wrath. Notice the words that God used. Probably one of the scariest words uttered in the Bible. Let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. The indictments that are leveled against the people of Israel placed on the court of the just and holy judge deserves punishment, death, destruction, eternal separation, nothing more, nothing less. Jonathan Edwards, in the book, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, wrote, The bow of God's wrath is bent, and the arrow made ready for the string, and justice bends the arrow to your heart, and strains the bow, and it is nothing but the mere pleasure of God, and that of an angry God, without any promise or obligation at all, that keeps the arrow one moment from being made drunk by your blood. Sinners, beware. Now observe the next words that God told Moses. I may make a great nation of you. Basically, God is saying that he is starting over and that, will, that he will make Moses the new Abraham making out of him another covenant, another great nation. And what's Moses' reply to this? And this is where we are coming to the uh, response of Moses or the response of man or the intercessory prayer. Here we'll look at the elements of his prayer. Beginning in verse 11, it says, But Moses, which is Moses literally saying, No, Lord, I refuse this offer, and you're not starting over but you'll continue the covenant that you gave us long ago. While others in their pride and ego would have grabbed this opportunity to be the head of a new nation, Moses, known for his meekness, flatly said no. He then implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot to your people? You catch that? Moses is giving his counter-argument to God, not only in utmost respect and absolute humility can we plead our case to God. So the first element of Moses' prayer is humility. Humility. Remember, you are talking to the creator, giver of grace, sustainer of infants and kings, the one who's upholding the earth Mars, Jupiter, the solar system, the Milky Way, and the whole billions and trillions of stars in the vast universe. We should be trembling in our knees when we approach him, as we approach him. Remember the story of Queen Esther. As she, approached, she approaches the king of Persia with much care and anxiety. How much more do we have to prepare with much humility and meekness as we approach the king of kings? Next he said, why should Egyptians say, to paraphrase, to paraphrase this, Moses is saying that 
Egypt and the other nations will be mocking God because he brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, but only to consume them in the desert, which in reality doesn't make sense. So Moses is appealing to the name of God. He is concerned for the glory of the Lord, the second element of his prayer. The core, the essence of every prayer is the glory of God's name. Hallowed be your name. The third element in Moses' prayer is the ask. The ask. He pleaded to the Lord, turn and relent. This is the ask, the petition, the supplicate. If we can sum up all of Jesus' words about prayer, it is this, ask. If Nike has that famous slogan, just do it, here it is. Just ask. James 4.2 said, You do not have because you do not ask. Do we even ask the Lord the smallest, tiniest details of our needs to Him? The ones that we seem insignificant and afraid that God would not bother. In truth, God is listening to every syllable uttered in our prayers. Remember the prayer of Jabez in 1 Corinthians 4.10. Simple, specific, short, so much for short prayers in the Bible. Very short prayer of supplication, and, and his prayer was answered. Our petition in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Just ask. The next word of, word of Moses' prayer is remember. Remember. Just look at the audacity of Moses. He was telling the omniscient, all-knowing God to remember. He was basically saying, By the way, God, just in case you have forgotten, remember. This is the boldness, the courage, the confidence that we need in our prayers, the fourth element of his prayer. This can only happen in the context of our relationship to God. The acceptance of Jesus as our Lord and Savior enables us to be part of God's family, of the family of God. Knowing God as our Heavenly Father, a relationship that is far superior than what we have with our earthly fathers, wherein if we can approach our earthly fathers without restraint, unhindered, come as you are attitude, how much more can we boldly approach the throne of our Heavenly Father? The Lord's Prayer starts with our Father. Now you tell me, wait a minute, I thought you said the first element of the prayer is that we have to be humble. And now you're telling us to be bold. Well, which is it? This is the mystery of our approach to prayer. It has to be, there has to be a balance of humility and confidence as we pray. Be assertive and also be respectful. Now, the fifth element of Moses' prayer is praying the Word of God. Praying the Word of God. This is in the latter part of verse 13, which is the retelling of the covenant that God has made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the Word of God. The promise that was given that goes all the way to Genesis. 
Remember the book in which we studied almost a year ago now, Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney? The, the simple solution to the boring routine of saying the same old things about the same old things is to pray a passage of the Scripture. We should know that the Word of God and prayer go hand in hand. Meditation of the Word of God is the best preparation for prayer. So after Moses' prayer, what happened? It says there, the Lord relented. Wow. The immutable, unchanging God relented. In other Bible versions, it even says repented. So going back to the questions that we have in the beginning of the sermon, does God change his mind or does prayer really change things? Moses knew the God of the Bible. And that is why he was able to pray this prayer with confidence and certainty of the outcome. Also to answer these questions, we will zoom out to see important truths in the Bible, looking in the Bible as a whole, as a unified story to get a clearer picture. We'll look at three important truths in this matter. First truth is that the attributes of God are unchanging. The attributes of God are unchanging. The nature character of God of the Bible is cons- consistent, constant, permanent, and eternal. God is holy and always be holy. God is love and always will be love. God is omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent, present everywhere at the same time, and omnibenevolent, all-good. Moses knows this. He said in his prayer in Psalm 90, From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He acknowledges God's wrath while appealing to God's love. He acknowledges God's justice while appealing to God's mercy. Looking to some other verses in the Bible, For I, the Lord, do not change. Malachi 3.6 God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13.8 Or how about Psalm 102.27 You are the same, and your years have no end. And so on and so forth. God, in His essence, does not change. The second truth is that the purposes and the promises of God are unchanging. The purposes and promises of God are unchanging. Moses appeals to God, to God's unchanging purposes. He did this by recounting to God the purpose for which the Israelites were brought out of Egypt. And it is none other than for the glory of his name. Moses as well appeals to God's covenant of the promise that he gave to the patriarchs, to the forefathers, that he will give their family the land that he was leading them. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. Psalm 33, 11, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I will have purpose and I will do it. Isaiah 46, 10 and 11. Or how about Numbers 23, 19? God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? 
Or has he spoken? Or will he not fulfill it? So to answer the question, does God change his mind? The answer is a definite no. We blossom and flourish as leaves on a tree and wither and perish, but not changes thee. Now the third truth is the point of contention that we have to pay close attention to. The truth that prompts this sermon about the power and privilege of prayer. And it is this. The plans of God are unraveling. The plans of God are unraveling or unfolding. First, let me be clear that this doesn't mean that the plans of God are changing. It is as if he was surprised by Moses' prayer or in our case, the prayers that was uttered or will be uttered. No. God's plan is as solid here, as settled here, as it is anywhere in history. We have this story for a reason. The story shows how God's plan unravels. This story shows how God chooses the ways and means to accomplish the end the agents that work in conjunction to his eternal plan. So going back to the story, the people of Israel had committed a grievous sin that deserves none other than death. As God is just and holy, he judges the people in their sin. But here is the amazing part. God provides an intercessor for their sins. Let me say this again for emphasis. God provides an intercessor for their sins. Here, Moses interceded in behalf of the people of Israel. Moses prayed and pleaded for God's mercy not to destroy the people of Israel. In reality, if God wanted to destroy the people of Israel, he could have just spoken a word, snapped his finger, or looked at them with laser beams coming from his eyes. The fact that God told Moses to go down from the mountain means that Moses has to go down to represent the people of the people of Israel, knowing, knowing that Moses will intercede for them. And brothers and sisters, this is the power of intercession. This is the power of of prayer, of intercessory prayer, praying for others on your behalf. Praying for the salvation of our families, of our fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, friends, neighbors. I do this every day. I pray for the salvation of my children. I pray that their eyes will be open to see the beauty of the gospel, to embrace the love of Christ, and to know the cost and the sacrifice that was shed on the cross. And I will pray this until my, my prayer is answered, or until my dying breath. Our fervent, persistent prayers, the God of the universe hears, and will answer according to the riches of His grace and to the purpose of His will. We sing this in the song, All praise to Him who reigns in love, who guides the galaxies above yet bends to hear our every prayer. And I know most, almost 80 to 85% of our prayers are about healing from physical 
sickness, especially now with the COVID situation that we are in a, you know, at this moment, and there's nothing wrong with that. And this was emphasized in our first sermon about prayer in James 5. One practical application for this is when we pray for physical healing, let us also pray for the renewal of their spiritual strength and vigor. Another practical application is when someone asks you to pray for them, as long as you're in a safe environment, not a lot of distractions, you then pray at that moment. You tell them, let me say a prayer right now. For most often when we say, okay, I will do it later, we, we tend to forget and fail to pray. So continuing on, we see the pattern in the story of the Bible. Man sins, God judges, but also God appoints an intercessor on behalf of the people. I'm impressed by the works of intercession by these great men and women in the Bible like Abraham, David, Amos, of Queen Esther. How about the judges and judges? Or how about Job, known for his patient endurance? But do you know that he was also a great intercessor? The book begins with Job interceding for his children and ends with him interceding for his friends. Or how about the apostles' prayer in Acts? Nothing eternal happens apart from prayer. So to answer to our question, does prayer change things? You betcha. I'm blessed to have many intercessors, prayer intercessors in our family. Our Lolo and Nanai are great prayer warriors. I remember on our, our Lola's funeral service, their pastor from Chicago came and told me that one thing that he appreciated most in the life of our Lolo is his example of prayer, especially in the area of intercessor prayer. He said that our Lola would spend a long time praying for each and every one of us, his children, his grandchildren, mentioning us by name, requesting down to the specific details of, our, of every, each and every one of us that he, the pastor, you know, he almost knew me even before I arrived here in the U.S., in the United States. And that to me is amazing. And I know that without the prayers of my Lolo and Nani, I wouldn't be standing here, especially here, standing before you all. I wouldn't imagine myself preaching in a million years. I was a different person 20 or more years ago. My priorities were bent and worldly. My life was in a downward spiral. I know that they prayed for us to come here in the States to have a better life. But I also know that it didn't stop there. I know that they prayed that I will be able to comprehend the breadth and length, the height and depth of the love of Christ in which now I'm persevering to get to know more and more of this day by day. I appreciate them, and I love them for not giving up in praying for me. And I pray now this for the rest of my family also to get to know more of Christ, to taste and see that the Lord is good. And finally, finally, circling back to the outline that I have in the story, First, we have man, and second, we have God, and third, we have the response, and what am I missing? Or rather, who am I missing? 
Christ, Jesus. These are the four pillars of the gospel. Man, God, Christ response. Jesus is our mediator. Another word for intercessor. 1 Timothy 2.5 For there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the great high priest. Jesus is the greater Moses. When sin came into the world, God Father told Jesus to go down. Go down to your people. Well, Jesus didn't have to be forced to go down. It says there in Hebrews 12, 2, for the joy that was set before him, it was for his joy. God in his holiness and justice has every right to consume us. Has not been for the intercession of Jesus, we could have been pulverized. The Father said in Ezekiel 22.30, I sought for a man to stand in the breach before me, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Praise Jesus, who stood on the breach for our behalf. And the amazing thing about this is that we imperfect people, redeemed only by the blood of Christ, are able to take part in this God-ordained, God-mandated work of intercession. Through our actions, most notably here, through our prayers. And this is the privilege of intercessory prayer. Holy God partnered with imperfect men. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you. What a wonderful uh, privilege you have given us through prayer, to prayer. Help us, Father, to take part in it, to join in, to be encouraged knowing that our prayers can change things, can change hearts, can change the history of men. Only through your eternal plan of salvation. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.